Hey, Southland City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to join us today and even more grateful that you're a part of our community day in and day out. We continue on with our series, Old Creed, New World, but before we get there, I wanted to let you know about a few things happening in the life of our community. First of all, you probably know about the Tribune Project, and while we patiently wait the ability to get in there together as a community, we wanted to provide some ways for you to see the building and get your hands on the project as well. And so we've got another Trib Workday coming up this weekend, May 13th, on Saturday, from 10 to 2. We would love for you to be a part of this, and there's a variety of ways in which you can get involved. We've got painting options, and because they're small rooms, we would love for you to sign up for that to let us know that you'll be there. We've got some general cleanup, including some debris removal and some weeding outside. And if you just want to come see the building, we would love to see you there as well. So like I said, that's this Saturday here in South Bend, May 13th from 10 to 2. If you're looking for more information about the Tribune Project or our latest update, you can always go to thetribuneproject.com for more information. Also, if you consider South Bend City Church to be your home, you can always give to our general fund. It's through your generosity that we're able to do what we do. So thank you. If you're looking to give today, you can go down into the show notes below and click on the link there. Like I said, we're continuing on in our Old Creed New World series, and this weekend we landed on the line the Holy Catholic Church, the Communion of Saints. The Holy Spirit was meant to give birth to a church that carried on the work of Jesus. So we ask ourselves, what do we do with the church that so often betrays him? And we remind ourselves that we are a part of that communion of saints as well. At the end of our gatherings, we were able to celebrate the baptisms of six individuals. In the gathering you're about to hear, we were able to celebrate with five of those individuals. And I hope that you can feel the love from our community and you can feel the bravery of the members of our community that took that step this weekend. We're so thankful that you chose to join us and we're so grateful you're a part of this community. Let's join in with the rest of our community now. Hey, good morning. Uh, I'm Jason. Uh, I'm honored that you are here. We are honored to be together. Uh, a little bit later in our gathering, the main event today is baptisms. We have a number of people who are going to be baptized. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Yeah. Before we get there, though, we're going to take another step uh, in a journey that we've been on for quite a while. But before I get to that point, um, I was thinking about this with regard to a TV show that's pretty popular right now. This is one of those where I'm always afraid in church to ask if you're watching it because I'm not sure if you want to admit it in church, but it's fine. Any Succession fans in the house? Yeah, yeah, you, you'll admit it. Well, for the record, my roommate and I are watching it tonight, so... Um, HBO show about rich people behaving badly, and it's pretty popular right now. If you've seen it, you might um, have some background on this interview clip that came out. Uh, apparently, the actors on set for this very high-octane, well-funded, dramatic TV show were having a conversation about what kind of show it is. Um, so if you don't know the show, it, it's sort of a fictional account of a media mogul family that owns this cable news network and a lot of other properties. They have theme parks. They have this big global empire. They're very, 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 very wealthy. And there's all these kind of family fights over power and structure and future and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but what's interesting is that apparently the actors on set were having a conversation and they actually found out that among the lead actors in this show, they had, a, they had um, different understandings of what kind of story it was that they were in. And apparently, uh, one of the actors like, just casually remarked about the fact that they were in a comedy. <laughs> and one of the other actors said, what? This isn't a comedy. And if you know anything about the show, my theory is that Jeremy Strong, who plays Kendall Roy, does not think it's a comedy. And you see the way that he plays his part with a 
very serious self-understanding. And then Macaulay Culkin's brother, Kieran Culkin, who plays another one of the Roy brothers, seems quite clearly to think that he's in a comedy. And I tell you that because um, the kind of story that you think you're in determines a lot about how you play it, right? Like the kind of life story that you think you're in determines a lot about how you play it. The kind of reality that you think you're in determines a lot about how you play it. And we've been listening to a very particular story since last September about what reality we are living in. And the story I'm talking about is narrated through the Apostles' Creed, actually, this ancient document that's a particular way of understanding the story that we are in. Uh, the creed came together in the few hundred years after the time of Jesus as the followers of Jesus took the kind of complex stories of Scripture and, and, and distilled them into this kind of portable, accessible, universal telling of the story that we are in. And the way that this story is told says, first of all, that we live in a world that is intended, that's created, that's given. It's not simply here. And al already you can feel the difference. It's one thing to believe that you're walking around in an accident. It's another thing to believe that you're walking around in a story whose beauty is intended. It's one thing to think that your life is an accident. It's another thing to think that your life is intended, that you are given to the world by a giver. That's a very different story, right? The story goes on to say that the creator, the maker of all this beauty, drops his life into the life of Jesus. The, the flesh and blood story of Jesus is the story of God walking around on earth, which I think is really useful because I don't know about you, but there are a lot of days when I... I can meditate on the abstract expansiveness of the mystery that we call God and then get a little bit lost on what it would look like for me to live out that life in my own life and the relationships that I have and the grievances that I'm carrying and the struggles that I'm walking through, right? But then, then we have Jesus who purports to be the actual life of God in flesh and blood. This is useful for human beings who call themselves image bearers, which is what the scriptures call us and why we say everyone an icon around here. We say with our mantras that every human being is a bearer of the divine image. Now, that's both dignity that cannot be assailed. That's a dignity that can't be taken away from you. And it's a calling to actually live a little bit like God, right? To, to live out the love of God, the character of God, the power of God. That's a calling on our lives. And it's helpful to have some flesh and blood examples of that. And we have Jesus there in the scriptures who shows us a God who loves rather than hates, who gives rather than takes a God who lays down his life rather than taking the lives of others. We have that example in the flesh and blood of Jesus. And then the, the creed makes another move. I'm going to show you that in a minute. But before I get there, let me just observe. I think a lot of us, if we spend a little bit of time with the Jesus of the Gospels, find something good and beautiful and admirable there. And then you wonder what's next, right? For three years, he lived his ministry. He went around healing and telling the truth and confronting things and putting things back together and then you wonder what's next. And the creed's answer, which is scripture's answer, which is Jesus' answer for what's next, is expressed in what's called the third article of the creed. So that might sound a little bit technical, but the Apostles' Creed is actually kind of written in three movements. I mentioned the movement that describes God the maker, and then we have the movement that describes God the son in Jesus, and then we have this third and final article in the creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, what I want to call out here real quick before we go any further is what the creed is saying is that all of this here is the work of the Spirit, that this is what the Spirit gives birth to in the world, of a church, of a communion of saints, of forgiveness in our lives, of the knowledge of reconciliation, of resurrection of the body, of dead bodies being raised up, and life everlasting, that this is actually the work of the Spirit. 
Now, if you remember last week, uh, we had um, uh, uh, Sean Palmer here from Houston preaching for us. Great sermon, by the way. So thankful that he came. And Sean made the point that, like, the things that Jesus does, he does in the Spirit. Uh, you can see it all over the Scriptures. Jesus is conceived by the Spirit. He's led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. It's the Spirit that descends on him and names his belovedness in the Father. It's the Spirit that's at work when he heals people. It's the Spirit who empowers his speech when he tells the truth. It's the Spirit that helps him be raised from the dead when he comes out of that grave. That Jesus is actually doing these things by the Spirit. So it shouldn't surprise us, perhaps, that the Spirit then is doing all of this. Now let me take you into um, the part of the creed that we're going to hang out with today. It's just these two lines, the Holy Catholic Church and the Communion of Saints. Uh, a little clarification here. You hear the word Catholic. I don't know what you think when you hear that or how you understand that. The word originally basically means universal, which is why the Catholic Church calls itself the Catholic Church. It's not like a brand name they came up with. It's like a, a more kind of basic etymological thing that Catholic is a way of saying universal. And the, the creed is saying we believe in this big global historical body of belonging for followers of Jesus all around the world. And the creed says the communion of saints. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Jesus has this moment in John chapter 14 where the friends who are with him and have been with him for three years are beginning to hear him tell them that he's about to go away. And if you read the context of that part of John's gospel, one of these stories of Jesus, you can sense their feeling of loss at the thought that Jesus is going to go away. And if you've been with them through the gospels, if you've kind of followed their story, I think you can understand that loss. It's, it's like for those three years with him, they've seen a, a radically different and better way of being. They've known a kind of friendship and love with him that seems to have marked them, that seems to have moved them. They've seen him live with a kind of radical independence from the agendas that get pushed on him. And I think they admire that about him. They see the healing that follows him wherever he goes in his wake as other people have their lives and their bodies put back together. You, you see all this happening. So you can imagine after three years of all that, when he then says, I'm, a, I'm about to move on to go to be with the Father, you can feel the sadness in their experience, the kind of impending loss in their experience. But in John 14, Jesus is trying to tell them, yeah, you might be losing something in the fact that I'm no longer going to be with you in the flesh, but you're going to gain something even better. And this is what he says, John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts me, will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Greater things. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So don't miss that. Jesus said, actually, your lives are going to be the vessels of greater things than the things that you've seen in my life, and the Spirit's going to be given to you. You're going to, you're going to receive this gift of the power and presence of, of God in a way that's going to make all that possible. Um, this is what the Spirit's always doing in Scripture, by the way. In Genesis 1, the, the earth is formless and void, and the Spirit hovers over the waters. And then we get the kind of sifting and sorting that creates a world that's beautiful and full of flourishing. It's the same Spirit that hovers over Mary and then conceives the child in her. That's Jesus that brought through her body is going to do a kind of ordering in the world, a kind of loving in the world, a kind of acting in the world that's powerful and healing for the world. And now the Spirit is, is said to come to us, the followers of Jesus, to give birth to something new that we call the church. 
always generating something new and good and beautiful. This is the, the premise of this whole story of the, of the Holy Spirit and the people who say we believe in the church. Now, that being said, uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The church is not always known for living and acting and loving like Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. Um, I feel the, the tension and even the cynicism as I, as I follow the storyline. The storyline is Jesus living the life he lived, doing the good things he did, then saying, my people are going to do greater, better, deeper, truer, more beautiful things than that. They're going to keep the story going. It's going to keep expanding through them. And then I feel this thing, which is all the headlines and all the stories and all the pain and all the trauma, the stuff that's happened now and the stuff that's happened in the past. Uh, we're living at a, at a time where rampant failures in the church are being exposed at a dizzying rate. You've been feeling that, haven't you? Whether it's the sex abuse scandal among Catholic clergy or whether it's celebrity pastors and evangelical megachurches who are being revealed to live very, very far from the values they proclaim, right? Uh, I remember just seeing the other day that, uh, you know, one of those stories revolves around a church called Hillsong, New York, and a pastor named Carl Lentz, and there was one um, very sensational documentary that told the story of his infidelity and some of the power games that he was playing and the corruption behind the scenes of that church, and there's another documentary series coming out about it from another network and another producer because they want to tell the story again. Now, um, in the moment that we're living in, I've also observed that like, among this South and City Church family, a lot of us are carrying a lot of cynicism, a lot of suspicion, a lot of wounds, um, a, a lot of awareness about just how often the church gets it wrong. Um, I want to affirm that on one level. One of the things that's happening right now is some necessary truth-telling. That's absolutely essential. When people have abused and misused their positions, when pastors have manipulated people, when pulpits have been used for power games rather than for telling the truth, we need to tell the truth about that. So I want to I affirm um, a very necessary act of revealing and truth-telling that's happening. This is um, essential for a church that wants to move on and get it right. But I also want to say a couple of other things, and I say this specifically to the people of South Bend City Church. Um, as I walk with this community and as, as I hear your stories and understand the perspectives that we were wrestling with. First, you know it's always been this way, right? <laughs> In every era of church history, one of the things that's true is that some people use the, the power and the privilege that comes with a pulpit for selfish gain in every era, some people are going to preach toxic theologies and use those theologies to hurt people rather than to heal people. Just, just read any church history book. And one of the threads that you can follow through every era is that there are bad actors who come along and use these things for all the wrong reasons. I get that. I also think it's true that um, we do have a bit of a peculiar situation in the United States because the United States, among developed Western nations, culturally is unique in the fact that the United States is one of the few places among Western developed nations where you can actually gain a lot of clout and power by claiming to be Christian. 
That's not the case everywhere around the world, especially not in other uh, westernized or developed nations. But in the United States, it is still the case that you can gain clout, you can gain power by waving the Jesus flag. So of course the temptations are rife, right? There, there are temptations for the way that people would use that. So it's always been this way, and yes, we are living uh, in a particular context that I think it makes it even more likely that we're gonna see some of that very bad behavior. And instead of getting the real Jesus from our pulpits and our pastors, we're gonna get white Jesus, or racist Jesus, or greedy Jesus, or power game Jesus, or Republican Jesus, or Democrat Jesus, or any other Jesus rather than real Jesus. That's gonna happen in a cultural setting where affiliating with Jesus gets you ahead, right? He becomes useful for other people's agendas, even though it's not really him that's showing up in those stories. That's going to happen. Another thing that's happening, though, um, is alongside, like right here in this room, the very real stories of hurt that have come, whether from your own church experience or from the larger sort of church energy that's out there in the world, alongside the personal stories that some of us are carrying, uh, there's another thing happening too. Uh, one of the words for this, it's sometimes described as vicarious trauma. So there's trauma as a word for what happens to you and the way that you carry that in your body in the world. That's a specific term that's describing something that's been diagnosed, right? And there's also a way of sort of picking up the emotional energy of other people's wounds, and that happens. And that's beautiful because it's a sign of our capacity for empathy, right? That somebody else's story, somehow we carry some of the pain of that with us. That, that's a beautiful factor of being human. It can also mean that we over-index these stories. That we, we, we over-tell the story of trauma and turn a blind eye to stories of faithfulness and goodness that are also here. And there's a, there's a fine line there, right? Because we, we need to be deeply compassionate toward the actual wounds that our friends are walking with, toward what's right here in the room with us at Southland City Church today. There are... Um, like heinous stories of manipulation and abuse and wounding that are real and true, and some of us are carrying those stories in our bodies, but you do know they're not the only story, right? Um, I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a martial arts instructor, and he wasn't talking about church. He was talking about something else, but he was venting to me about one of his students that he teaches at his martial arts academy, and he was telling me this, this, this kid, this student, uh, was from another country, uh, from a developing world country where there's a lot of poverty and a lot of government corruption. And uh, the student was here in this area because he was a student at Notre Dame and then uh, at the Martial Arts Academy. And this teacher friend of mine was telling me about how this student, this kid, would often talk about all the poverty that he grew up with and all the, the pain of that poverty and that experience. And he would um, really identify with that from the place that he came from. And then later the teacher found out that this kid grew up in like the third wealthiest family in that country. That the family owned two helicopters and employed full-time pilots for those helicopters. That the family had gates and security guards and employees all around them. That he was actually quite protected from the poverty that he was identifying with. And my teacher was just like, like bemoaning this kind of inconsistency in this kid's storytelling. And I felt that and then I thought, if we're not careful, that's some of us on the church stories. Sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and they'll make reference to church trauma, church pain, 
And I'm genuinely curious. I'm a pastor. It's my job to try to understand those wounds so that we can walk with you in that. And often, it turns out there's a very personal and real story there. But sometimes, the more I ask questions, the more I realize, genuinely, that's not your story at all. You're just on Instagram too much. And it's one thing to see those stories and have compassion for those stories. It's another thing to somehow like claim them as your own when, in fact, maybe you haven't suffered that, right? I'm trying to be nuanced here, to trying to sift and sort this, because there's multiple things that are true at once. One is there's a lot of pain, and the church has done a lot of damage. Two, not everybody has been wounded by the church. And three, there's a lot of people doing beautiful, faithful like work every day all around the world in the church, but that never makes it into the headlines, right? I was talking to a friend of mine who worked at a church, uh, a large church in a big city nearby, and she no longer worked at the church at the time that we were talking. And we were just kind of a, a casual friend catch up. And she just asked me, hey, what's your week ahead looking like? Like, like we do sometimes, just kind of like, what do you got going on this week? And, I was, and then I, I went on to describe to her what was a very normal average week for me and my job here at South and City Church. I said, you know, I've got uh, a few pastoral meetings. I'm getting some meals with people and just kind of like sitting with them and hearing their story. And they're looking for some pastoral encouragement. And I've got some time blocked out to write sermons. And we've got staff meetings to do some planning. Just a very average week, not just for me, but the week I described to her would have been average for anybody on our staff here with a couple of the details switched out, right? And she, she said to me very genuinely, she said, wow. She said, I honestly didn't know that there are pastors who do pastoring anymore. And again, I'm, I'm not sure, my week was very average. Like, in my week, as far as I know, looked very average for most pastors in most churches all around the world, right? And I got a little upset with her. And I said, hey, you know there's like between 300,000 and 400,000 churches in America? So just because you've heard headlines from 10 bad churches or 20 bad churches or 100 bad churches or 1,000 bad churches doesn't mean there aren't hundreds of thousands of people and pastors in communities just humbly, quietly, and faithfully doing their best to live the life that Jesus has called them to together. Not that they're doing it perfectly, but that they are doing it faithfully, but it never makes it in the headlines because there's nothing sensational about it, right? And so um, we have a challenge in the era that we're living in, which is to be discerning, to not turn a blind eye toward the truth-telling that needs to happen right now, but also to remember it's not the whole story. And if you kind of get past the sensationalism and the headlines and you look a little more closely, you keep your eyes open, you pay attention, I think what you'll discover is that what Jesus said would happen is exactly what would ha has happened. That for 2,000 years, the, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the generosity of God has been working its way out into the world through people. Not perfectly, but often faithfully. Often with great love and great sacrifice great bravery, great creativity, often this is happening all around the world in different expressions of church. Now, if it makes you feel any better, these stories of bad actors, you know, waving the Jesus flag while doing things that don't look like Jesus, did you know Jesus anticipated that? He said explicitly that was going to happen. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 7 the way he says it here. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Right? There, he, he sees it coming. He says there's going to be fantastic, spectacular displays of power and pyrotechnics, and they're going to use my name, but it's going to have nothing to do with me. Because it's not going to be about actually following the actual Jesus, doing the actual things that Jesus actually told us to do with the actual presence of Jesus leading us in that direction. He said, yeah, that's going to happen too. That's a good reminder for us as, as people and as a church that we got to stay vigilant, don't we? Individually and, and as a church family. We want to keep making sure that what we claim to be and what we intend to do is not perfect, of course, because it won't be, but faithful, that it has some integrity with the actual Jesus who gives the actual spirit for the people who want to actually live the life that he actually called us to. Like that's available to us now. And the calling on us is to be vigilant, that we don't let so much cynicism take over our worldview that we stop believing in the thing that's right here in front of our eyes, which is that in fact, like through every generation of the last 2,000 years, all around the globe, there have been people and communities who not perfectly but faithfully have walked together and discovered that he meant it when he said greater things will come and that you're not alone and that the Spirit wants to do this work. Now, um, there's this interesting um, language in the New Testament that's reflected in the creed. The creed said we believe not only in the church, but the communion of saints. Uh, now, what I know about Southland City Church is some of us grew up in churches that had a very developed sort of practice of understanding and honoring saints, right? And so you heard of maybe St. Francis or St. Teresa or other saints that have been named by the church as um, faithful representatives of the life that Jesus called us to. Uh, others here have grown up in religious spaces that were explicitly opposed to any language around saints. We had kind of a, a bias against that. And then others have no idea what I'm talking about. That's great. That's fine. But it's there in the creed, we believe in the communion of saints. We believe in the fellowship of saints. And this, for what it's worth, isn't just developed centuries later. The language is all over the New Testament. Because every time you read a letter written to a church in the New Testament, and by church, I just mean a scrappy little circle of people following Jesus bravely. Every time you see these letters written to churches in the New Testament, these authors, whether it's Paul or others, they often say, not just to the Christians, not just to the people, not just to the, they say to the saints in Ephesus, to the holy ones in Rome. And of course the creed then says we believe in the communion of saints. It's all over the New Testament. Now, I was trying to make the case years ago in a sermon. I was trying to say, like, you know that's talking about you too, right? I mean, that's actually your, like, you, you carry that title here in this fellowship, saint, holy one. Yeah, imperfect, yeah, human, yeah. Fumbling sometimes, yeah. We all have bad weeks and good weeks. We all, but that's actually talking about you and me too. That's a label for us. I was, I was raising this point in a sermon and somebody really took issue with it. And they said, no, 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 no. Like, no, that can't be right. Like, saint is a title reserved for people who, you know, somehow seem to shake off the gravity of sin and, and live this kind of superhuman kind of life. My word's not theirs, but that's really what they were saying. And I had to actually open my Bible and show them that all those letters that begin, hey, you saints, you holy ones. Just like three paragraphs later, those same letters call those people out for the worst kinds of stuff. 
the same people that these letters call saints, holy ones, if you read a little bit later, it turns out that some of them are engaging in the kind of like sexual depravity that would make a Jerry Springer audience blush. <laughs> some of those people are living with such greed that really it runs totally counter to the heart of Jesus. Some of those fellowships had devolved into a situation where they just perpetuated the same hierarchies and divisions and class structures that were breaking the world around them rather than living up to what they were called to, which is a universal community of human belonging where all of us stand on the same ground at the table with Jesus. They weren't doing those things, and yet they're still called holy ones. They're still called saints. And I think that's because saint, holy one, it's not something you earn. It's something you're endowed with. You don't go out there and get it. It's just given to you. This is the same Jesus who said, I'm going to give you the spirit, the life of God in your life, the breath of God in your lungs, freely given for you. Not for somebody else who's more worthy, not for somebody who's got more of their act together, not for somebody who's accomplished more religiously, not for somebody who knows more doctrine than you, none of that. No, for you, because God wants to give God's self to you. Because God always intended to be human is to be a vessel of that divine life, which is why we are called bearers of the image of God. Everyone an icon. I was a minute ago talking about cynicism that a lot of us are struggling with. And you know one of the worst problems with cynicism is? It is virtually impossible to be cynical about other people and not ultimately become cynical about yourself. The same lens of suspicion that we direct against others, we begin to direct against ourselves. And then we start hanging our heads. And we stop hearing that calling to us that says, you, holy ones, saints. I mean, right now, those of us in the room, we are sitting in a circle of, of saints. Like, lift your head. A circle of holy ones. Lift your head. This is what the Spirit has been doing from the beginning. Endowing us with the presence of God. Channeling the life and the love of God through us and into the world, and yet it comes through imperfectly. And yet right alongside all that divinity, there's our ego, there's our biases, there's, all that's there too, yeah, totally. Seems to have been the same case in the first century when those letters were written to people who were screwing up in every possible way, which is why a letter had to get written in the first place, and yet, saints. Holy ones. Um, it's brave and beautiful to say we believe in the Holy Spirit. We trust that God has given God's presence to us and to the world. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We believe and we trust. We celebrate. We give our heart to this beautiful, diverse human fellowship all around the globe and all through history of different kinds of Christians in different kinds of places, all coming together to try to meet the actual Jesus, to understand the actual things he said and did so that the actual life of Jesus could actually get lived out in the here and now through you and me. What a brave and beautiful thing to say. We believe in the communion of saints, not just that it exists, but that we are part of it. Not just that there's a feast happening among holy people, but that you are at the table too. Uh, this is brave and beautiful for people who are carrying deep wounds of church hurt. And I know those wounds are real. I hope my challenge in this teaching doesn't make you fear that I'm trying to dismiss or diminish 
the very serious stories that have marked so many in this community. I, um, part of the strangest of my job is I get access to the best and the worst of it. And on any given day, I might hear a story that um, every time I think I've fully assessed just how bad church can be, I hear another story and I have to, I have to like downgrade my assessment even further. But on the other hand, um, more than most, I'm privy to, I get access to stories on the other side of all of that. And I see it here every week, you guys. Um, even, even this morning, even any given Sunday, I see um, acts of love and connection and belonging and encouragement that to me are beyond human, they're divine. I see people finding each other and caring for each other, seeing each other, walking with each other. I see acts of sacrifice and creativity. I, I, I see it every week, I and mean, then I get to hear more of those stories in the course of my week. And I'll say for me, um, there are plenty of days when we believe in the church has been the hardest line in the creed for me. Uh, I have a lot of friends who genuinely don't understand why I do what I do for a living. Um, and I tell them, I'm like, yeah, there, there's a lot that I don't understand about it either sometimes. <laughs> I felt stirred toward this kind of work when I was in high school. And honestly, my first thought was like, all the pastors I know wear pleated khakis. I don't want to wear pleated khakis. And then there were more substantive reasons that I felt really conflicted about this. Uh, I'm kind of I'm wired for cynicism, to be honest. Like my personality type, even, I'm, I'm kind of wired that way. Um, I find groupthink to be, like, reprehensible. I have an allergy to groupthink. I can't stand that. Uh, and yet, when I look at the aspiration of the church, of the actual idea that Jesus wants to keep living Jesus' life in the world. And when I look at history and discover that, in fact, that has happened. That for every story of mascot Jesus being used to justify evil, there's another story of the actual Jesus compelling people toward the most beautiful kinds of lives. I mean, even in our own history in the United States, uh, there, there is an evil and heinous history of white Christians using white Jesus to justify the enslavement of black people coming from Africa? Yes, of course, we know that's true. But I'll tell you what, you know what else is true? The actual Jesus who sustained those Africans who came here, who taught them a faith that a lot of us could learn a lot about right now, the one that actually like, led them into their own liberation that they deserve. Like, that, that's a story of the church too. Don't miss that, right? And then the question for us is just how do we keep coming back to the actual Jesus doing the actual things that Jesus said he was going to do through us while we tell the truth about all those fake Jesuses who keep getting paraded around by all those bad actors. We can do both at once, but don't let the cynicism and the truth-telling about that part of the story cloud your heart, blind your vision to the rest of, the, of what's actually true about what he is doing in the world through people like you and me. Um, because especially in the world right now, I genuinely, um, I, I can't imagine anything more important than the actual Jesus showing up. And I don't just mean that in private, personal lives. I mean that in the community that he builds when we do it together. Um, today, um, in particular, we get to celebrate the beautiful bravery, the faith and hope of those who will be baptized. Um, the baptism pool is here. Baptism is... Uh, layered with many symbols. 
It includes the symbol of death and resurrection, being buried with Christ and raised up with Christ. It includes a symbol of cleansing and forgiveness. It includes a symbol of new birth. And the people who are being baptized today are saying they trust Jesus for those things. And they want to walk with Jesus for those things. And the good news is we have a part to play in all of that too. So let me kind of talk you through how baptisms are going to go because we need you for this. Uh, watch how this is going to go. In a minute, the band's going to lead us uh, through some music. And then we're going to bring those who are being baptized out one at a time. Uh, with a couple of those who are being baptized, we even got them to record a bit of an audio story so you could hear a bit of their own heart for why they're entering the baptism pool today. Uh, for others, we'll share their name with you and you can ask them more about their story later. Uh, but when they come out to the pool, uh, we'll bring them into the water together. And then we're going to ask them three questions. And this is what we're going to ask them. We're going to ask, have you decided to surrender your life and heart to God, for God to live God's life in you and through you? And they'll say yes. We'll ask, do you trust that God in Christ has forgiven you of sin and embraced you in love? And they'll say yes. And then we'll ask, will you commit yourself to following Jesus and the new life he gives, walking in community and growing with others who follow him as a student and disciple? And they'll say yes. And then comes the part for all of us. Because then it's time for us to affirm them and to speak back to them. And we co collectively will say, we've heard your confession. We affirm your decision. And we will walk with you in this new life. And then upon hearing that affirmation from you, from the communion of saints gathered in this room today, we'll then baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it would be entirely appropriate if you want to cheer for them as they come out of the water. Sound good? Cool. All right, we're going to go there as Mariah and the team lead us. Before we get there, we wanted to take a minute to remind us where we've been. We've been in this series, Old Creed, New World, and working through the Apostles' Creed. And at the beginning of that, way back, oh man, I don't know, summer maybe, we introduced a new song called This I Believe that's just the Apostles' Creed rewritten into song form. So we thought it would be appropriate to sing that together. So if you're willing and able, would you stand and join us as we sing?
Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. As you grab a seat, we have some friends joining us. We've got the older kiddos joining us. We thought it would be really beautiful for them to share in this moment with us. So let's say hi, kids. Hi, kids. How you doing? Thanks for joining us. And uh, as Jason and Matt get ready, uh, we're going to start off with our first baptism this morning, Tyler. Hi, my name is Tyler. I am 12 years old. When I came into this world, it was too soon. I had a hole in my heart. I had a brain bleed with high blood pressure. The doctors told my mom I might not make it. But my Heavenly Father showed the doctors that they were wrong. My Heavenly Father healed me with, from all that was wrong with me. As I got older, the doctors told my family I probably would not walk or talk. Once again, my Heavenly Father proved them wrong again. The reason I want to get baptized is to share the good news of my Heavenly Father, of what He can do for you as He has done for me. I am living proof that miracles are true. Amazing. Uh, church, this is Tyler. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you all might recognize Tyler from his greeting work at the front door. He's one of our favorite greeters. Uh, but today we have the honor uh, of hearing your confession of faith, Tyler, and of baptizing you. So, Tyler, I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? Yes. Tyler, have you decided to surrender your life and heart to God, for God to live God's life in you and through you? Yes. And do you trust that God in Christ has forgiven you of sin and embraced you in love? Will you commit yourself to following Jesus and the new life he gives, walking in community and growing with others who follow him as a student and disciple? Yes. Awesome. Church, we respond. We've heard your confession. We affirm your decision. And we will walk with you in this new life. Awesome. Tyler, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. have had the privilege of getting to know Colton recently, and when you have a chance, you'll have to hear more of Colton's story. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Colton, but I know that um, it sounds like you found a place to be yourself and to bring that self to Jesus and to this community, and we're really um, honored and grateful that you're with us. Uh, Colton, I'm going to ask you some questions now. Have you decided to surrender your life and heart to God, for God to live God's life in you and through you? And do you trust that God in Christ has forgiven you of sin and embraced you commit yourself to following Jesus and the new life he gives, walking in community and growing with others who follow him as a student and disciple. In church, we respond. We've heard your confession and we affirm your decision and we will walk with you in this new life. Colton, 
baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's welcome Katie. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, Katie, come on. Katie, a lot of us have had the privilege of knowing Katie for a while now, of walking with her and seeing her life. Um, Katie sent me, a, gosh, a beautiful email this week. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but they were your words. Um, just talking about what it's been like to find uh, the life of God in Jesus with this community. And it's our privilege to say we see that in you. So I'm going to ask you some questions now. Okay. Katie, have you decided to surrender your life and heart to God, for God to live God's life in you and through you? And do you trust that God in Christ has forgiven you of sin and embraced you in love? Yes. And will you commit yourself to following Jesus in the new life he gives, walking in community and growing with others who follow him as a student and disciple? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Church, we respond. We've heard your confession. We affirm your decision. And we will walk with you in this new life. Katie, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. some questions now, okay? Ooh, ooh. Have you decided to surrender your life and heart to God, for God to live God's life in you and through you? Yes. Yes. 
And do you trust that God in Christ has forgiven you of sin and embraced you in love? Yes. And will you commit yourself to following Jesus and the new life he gives, walking in community and growing with others who follow him as a student and disciple? Yes. Yes. And church, we respond. We have heard your confession and we affirm your decision and we will walk with you in this new life. Daniel, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. thought it appropriate to end with a song that keeps with that sentiment of the goodness of God, but to sing a song that a lot of us might know, some of us might know. I know I grew up with this little chorus, and we're going to sing it together this morning to end our time.
So may we, the church, be brave enough to tell our stories and to tell of our failures. But may we also remember all of the good that God has brought to the world through God's people. And may we hold our heads high as holy ones today. And may grace and peace be with you. Thank you, friends. Love you. Have a great week. If you're here for the new South Bend City Church table, we'll get started up top here in a few minutes. Have a good week.